Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Joe Johnson works at the navy blue portion of the Jazz basketball logo. Works to the right side. He's got a switch with Felton. A low dribble. Crossover. Big step in the lane. Kicks to Axum. Left corner three. Got it! Yes! the spot! You are locked on Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 15th of March. Coming to you from Detroit. We'll talk about the Clippers Jazz game again because I rewatched it yesterday. Get you ready for the Pistons. And then interesting, fun little discussion on the five worst defensive players at each position. Do any Jazz players get mentioned? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Hope you're great. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. By the way, if you didn't grab it already, Locked on NBA, Chad Ford uh, was nice enough to join me for a fun episode this week. Uh, hopefully you've, you've grabbed a hold of that one. It's always fun to hear Chad. I thought he did a really nice job breaking down the prospects for the tournament uh, and, and giving you ready for uh, that. Hope you filled out your brackets and gotten ready for a little week of one-and-done college basketball uh, as we head east here on this road trip. Uh, Locked on Jazz is your daily podcast of the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for tuning in. Five stars on any of your podcatcher devices is much appreciated. All right, I think I laid it out for you. I rewatched the Jazz Clippers, which was a lot of fun on the plane yesterday. And I'll talk about that. Uh, I just finished watching the Pistons. Uh, they got smoked last night by Cleveland, which is not good for us. And then I watched their previous Cleveland game. Uh, and then uh, some fun Bleacher Report stuff. So that's kind of where we sit today. Uh, hope we have that for you. Uh, by the way, uh, this is uh, we're going to have to have this conversation at a longer time. But I kind of know it's going to get lost and, and moved uh one thing that I think we undervalue as people who talk about the NBA is, and, and just don't understand enough, is the value of good people. The value of, of having good people on your team that are interested in doing things the right way, uh, that aren't pigs, that aren't pigs are guys that are selfish um, that aren't uh, interested in all their own stuff rather than the team uh, it's a it's a pretty it's not talked about enough it's really hard to put a finger on it I think teams that don't have it know it uh, I think team I think it's really really the number one thing we don't talk about enough in this from an from a broadcaster uh, standpoint, or we we even and it's kind of contrary to analytics, I guess, from my standpoint. But the more I spend time around the league, the more uh, 
I watch the game. I mean, there's always wonder what that second. What else is going on? Is is a real phenomena uh, out there? So uh, I just I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, it's a longer conversation for another day, probably. Uh, why don't you send me your pin across the world at dlock09 at gmail.com. I always like opening the show with our with our pins um, and and hearing from you and, and what you have to say and uh, what your story is of how you uh, became a jazz fan and where it is uh, that you're listening. Um you can put pins in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, Knoxville, Tennessee, Waterford, Texas. I'm going to a small medical school in eastern Tennessee. Found out this morning I'm going to do my residency in Waterford, Texas. I grew up in Salt Lake. I'm a lifelong jazz fan. My fondest memory was watching John hit the game win over Houston. I was on my mission in Japan when I heard the news about John retiring and almost cried. Uh, in the library reading my email. Thank you very much for your show. It helped me feel more connected, even though I've been away for a while. Uh, hopefully... Uh, I'll be able to say hi to you when the Jazz play the Mavericks. Tim Tapana is our pin across the world today. All right, let's get to our tip-off story of the day. Uh, re-watching the game, a few things jumped out to me. Uh, one, how fortunate you are to have this TV broadcast crew. They really do a great job, Bowler and Matt. But the behind-the-scenes crew, Travis Henderson is the director, and Jeremy Brunner and Scott Rogers, and there's a whole crew of people that are working on that, and the cameraman. Some of the camera shots were unbelievable. Travis Henderson was sitting in front of me at the plane. I kept asking, like, who's your middle cameraman? Who got this shot? The, there, there was some great work. So tip of the hat to uh, the entire crew on the, on the Jazz TV. You're very fortunate. Uh, as fans to be watching a broadcast of that caliber. I don't get to watch it very often. I probably do this about five times a year where I go back and, and re-watch the game. I, I, I was really – there was a moment where George Hill took a, uh, a foul from DeAndre Jordan under the basket and Travis uh, immediately cut to an incredible camera shot tied up on DeAndre Jordan uh, saying something to George Hill, which I can't repeat on the air. Uh, just the quality of having a cameraman who's good enough to be up on that shot, to have a director who's on it enough to cut to it uh, and not get lost by something else, to then be able to see that reaction by DeAndre. Uh, that was a good example to me of just how special uh, the broadcast crew is at the Utah Jazz, and to be able to see that on a nightly basis is, is really, really cool. Uh, here's some of the things that jumped out at me uh, during that game. Uh, at least on this given night, the idea that DeAndre Jordan is an elite defensive player on the same level as Rudy Gobert was laughable. Uh, absolutely laughable. Uh, there, there's just nothing that compares it all. Um, there just wasn't, there's just nothing comparative, frankly. They, he absolutely um, remarkable in how active, involved, connected Rudy is and uh, arms up impacting passing lanes. DeAndre's arms were by his side, uh, disengaged a huge amount of the game. Uh, and obviously that will probably change in the playoffs, which is worth noting uh, when we think about playing them again. But on that given day, there was simply no comparison. Uh, Rudy got into DeAndre, and he was he was done uh, for the night. They truly, holy smokes, did they try to bully and punk the Jazz that night. The amount of pushing and shoving and elbowing and just kind of pissy little bullcrap uh, from 
is incredible. It does make you wonder if they're really mentally weak. I mean, on one level, you go, oh, they're really tough. and they're Yeah, on the other end, they're, like, easily bothered and kind of sniveling little brats. And uh, I don't know which it is, frankly. Like, okay, maybe on one level they came with the idea to be physical and the Jazz are inexperienced and they're going to punk the Jazz and send a message. And, you know, you kind of like the J.J. Redick. Uh, gets that elbow unintentional or intentional from Rudy, whichever it was, and then goes and pushes him. You like that. Like, that's standing up for yourself. But, you know, just DeAndre Jordan sitting at the free throw line and a missed free throw, he just turns around and shoves Boris Diaz. Like, what are you doing? Like, and Boris Diaz not going to be bothered by it. Boris Diaz never, he's going to live on a catamaran for two years. He's never been bothered by anything. So I, I, that, that struck me watching that game of, of, I'm a guy who, the Clippers caused me, as an analyst of the league, I don't know if I'm that, but of, as a fan of the league, a, a lot of problems. Because before that game, I, I was convinced that the Clippers actually have as good a chance to win the West as anyone. Uh, watching Blake without Chris Paul, I'm convinced he's like top five player in the NBA. And then you go watch that game, and they're doing all this other stuff, and Blake's disengaged, and you... Then you wonder, well, maybe there's mentally weak. Then I go back to the fact, that, and so you then then I disconnect. Then I go back to the fact that I talked to Doc Rivers before the game and said, you know, at the beginning of the year, you kind of said to me you thought your team's mentality was that they were, um, that they were, you know, felt robbed from the year before. They didn't get a chance, and they have this great fire this year. And I said, well, where are they now? And he said, well, they'll be back there for game one of the playoffs. So clearly. At this point, they they know they're four or five, and they're just kind of coasting through the season. They probably know they're four, frankly, with the way the schedules lay out. And so they're coasting, and maybe, you know, they've been on the road a lot, so they were tired, and, and maybe that leads to it. And then I, you go back. Uh, so it's, they're just an interesting uh, mix. Joe Ingles is, and is fascinating to watch on tape because, Joe one, he plays incredibly hard. So that's a great tribute to him. Two is he's so smart basketball-wise, and I, I never like that characteristic, but it's real, in the sense that he knows what the team is doing all the time, that it allows him to react a step faster than he would otherwise. So... There was a play where he's trailing J.J. Redick on a pick, and the last pick is set by Blake Griffin, and then Blake pops out to the wing, and Joe immediately realizes the minute he's hit by this pick, all right, well, that's a switch because it's a, we're switching uh, point guard through power forward, and so if that's a switch and he's going to pop, then I stay attached to him. And you can be a world-class athlete – but if you don't recognize that play correctly, then you've tried to take one more step to your guy. Then you realize it's a switch or maybe you, uh, you know, there was a play where two of our guys on a pick and roll, both kind of where the ball handler didn't react to the switch in enough time. Or the, the guy defending the ball didn't react to the switch or realize it was a switch. And so it confused the, uh, so this was a pick and roll. I'm trying not to use names. Um, our defender had, was guarding the ball. Uh, it was a switch play, but because the guy guarding the ball stayed with the ball long enough, the other defender suddenly, you could see him think, well, maybe this isn't a switch. Maybe he's trying to get back out in front. So then he went back to his guy and ended up with a Austin Rivers layup. 
Uh, Joe's the opposite on that one. So Joe reacts so quickly that then by the time Blake Griffin gets the ball on the wing, he's actually in perfect position. And the whole play is that, you know, you're going to run that pick and that pop and roll, and then Blake's going to have an advantage when he gets the ball. And Blake didn't have the advantage because Joe Ingles is just so in tune to the schemes. And this, knowing the schemes, uh, and this is actually a little bit back if you think about uh, some of the stuff we talked about with My Simply Smarter, where you're making your athlete better by being a smarter, better student. Um, in your youth athletics, we talked about a little bit uh, when, with, with, the, uh, with that pro- product. Uh, but if you are able to take in the information and you know what's going to happen and you react faster, well, then you are a better athlete, right? Like that, that split second or two is more important than the athleticism that you might see on draft day. Like that's – I actually think Trey Lyles has this also. Um, we're not seeing it right now out of Trey. Trey's in a you know in a bad state, but uh, I think Trey Lyles actually has it. Also, he has an incredible knack of feeling and understanding for the game and and how it's supposed to be played. And that, as he gets older and understands that better, that will overcome some of his lack of of athleticism defensively. Um, Boris Diaw is a tremendously fun player to watch. Uh, the thing that jumps out to me about Boris is how quickly he makes passes and reads. There was a play. Um, Boris had the ball on the left block. Gordon Hayward slashes through the middle of the lane. DeAndre, Gordon's coming. Boris wants to throw the pass to Gordon because that's the cut. Austin Rivers comes from the weak side to get involved, and Boris immediately recognizes it to a cross-court skip pass to George Hill, who then gets an open three. Once, you know, half a second later on that reaction, or, you know, there are other plays where I saw guys drive and guys were wide open, they just didn't see them. Um... Half a second later on that reaction, and George Hill doesn't get an open look. Now, he didn't make it, which is where, you know, plus minus and assists and some of these other stuff are, are kind of weird because, you know, Boris, there's no statistical credit anywhere for that pass other than the fact that it was the perfect read at the perfect time and is how you're going to end up winning a game uh, with that. The other There was another one where I don't remember exactly what happened, but Boris just slid around the outside uh, so perfectly and before he caught the ball, he knew he had Rodney Hood open on the right side. And that pass was off his hands before he even touched the ball. Uh, and I, I'm you watch the Spurs and try to figure out what they're doing and how they're better than everyone else. And the Warriors, when they're hot, it's that the ball moves. Not that it doesn't stick. That's, that's almost a misnomer. It's that it moves before it even gets there. In other words... Boris knew, I'm sliding in the middle, I'm sliding to the top, I'm sliding to the top, I'm open for a pass. Come on, come on, come on, come on, it's going to Roddy, it's going to Roddy. Kaboom! And those type of plays uh, are what create offense in the NBA right now, particularly on our system where you're creating an uh, advantage and then you're working off that advantage and then in turn we're using the entire clock for the possession, you better move 
the ball. It's really what, if you watch the Spurs, it's hard to understand, like, well, what are they doing differently than everyone else? They're just moving it faster, and everyone's in the right spot, so the ball gets to where it's supposed to get to. Uh, and Boris is really super at that. The Jazz are really good when Boris is on the floor, and that's why. And, you know, you, the first level is, well, he's missed 14 straight threes. He's now made one, and he doesn't do this. No, no, he's actually really good. And his defense on Blake was really good the other night. Uh, he, You know, playoffs are going to be hard for him uh, when it amps up. Uh, but he's he's still uh, really good. Other one that jumped out to me was actually Dante made a bunch of those plays where he anticipated prior to it, the, the drive where he gets hit, He you could see him move his feet uh, based on how the defender was that he knew he was exploding to the basket before he got the ball. Uh, there was a rotation and a three to Joe Johnson uh, that Dante had in the corner. He had an open look, bypassed it where he shoots 18% from the corner, bypassed it to Joe Johnson who shoots above 40% from that spot. Love that play. Uh, those I saw you know, the coaching in the front office has always talked about how smart Dante is as a basketball player. I saw that last, uh, re-watching the game. And the last one is I thought the Jazz played the first half really well. You know, They were down by nine, but Watching the game over again, it wasn't like you were watching going, oh, my gosh, what the heck's going on here? I had a hard time with Austin Rivers for a little while. Um, and Alec Burks cannot figure out – I call it he's Velcroed on picks. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday who said he doesn't know how to get skinny. Alec Burks has got to figure out how to get skinny on picks. He just gets crushed on every pick, uh, and he's going to have to figure that out. So uh, that's my look at the game uh, of the Jazz and the Clippers. Today's show is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin is a huge Jazz fan, and it's been really fun to have Devin sponsoring Locked on Jazz. He was one of the first. I, I sincerely appreciate him for that. And it's hopefully been great for him. Uh, Zach Campbell moved from uh, Jazz listeners. Zach Campbell moved from Hawaii to Bountiful, Utah, uh, and wrote me a letter about how great Devin was. He's simply downright good guy, which fosters positive relationships with everyone he interacts with, wrote uh, Zach. We had several people vying for the home we purchased, and I credit Devin's interpersonal skills and real estate savvy to us now returning to the Mecca of the Jazz in a perfect home. Uh, I got another uh, letter from Kyle um, talking about my wife's enrolling at the U of U this fall, and I, I, we need to move and enter Devin Cash. Uh, the biggest surprise working with Devin was his personal tack. We're not planning on moving for at least six months, so I was apprehensive on how he would handle this type of situation, but he's been great. He's kept in touch, but not at any point has he ever come across as pushy, impatient, or uninterested. When I explained to him I was being proactive because of how big a change it was for our life, he was nothing but empathetic and understanding. He's just a good dude. If you're thinking about the process, you're not ready to do it right now, you might want to mark an analysis of where you stand, Devin Cash will take care of you and build that relationship and not try to get the quick sale done on you and force you uh, into anything. So call Devin, 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. Devin Cash Equity Real Estate, 801-759. 1495 and originally Dev was going to give you two free season tickets to the Jazz when you buy or sell a home. Since then, he's done a big screen TV for some people so they can watch Jazz. Maybe he'll find a way to get you some playoff tickets this year. Who knows? But he'll take care of you. And really what that means is if you have a friend who's about to buy or sell a house, have him call Devin Cash because then they'll take you to the game. 801-759-1495. I just finished uh, my Detroit prep. Uh, I'm ahead today. How about that? Uh, And watch their game, well, last night's game I didn't watch a lot. They got down 30 to Cleveland, which is not great for us because it means they're going to come out firing and ready to go. Um, they're, an in, they're kind of an interesting team uh, 
They're one of those teams where I like each of their pieces, and then I'm not entirely sure I like their team, um, if that makes sense. Like, you know, Reggie Jackson seems to have some value, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope seems to have some value, and I've always kind of liked Tobias Harris, though uh, I'm not totally sure on where he fits as a teammate. Um, that was the word out of him in Orlando. Um, Marcus Morris, probably same comment. I've always liked his game. Not entirely sure if I think he's a starting three or four, if he's just a player. right? So they've got these guys. You like all of them. Stanley Johnson won four state titles in California. John Lohr's a good stretch four off the bench. Andre Drummond does all this rebounding, and then it just doesn't look perfect out there. They've won four of six. They're 33-34 and 34 on the season after the loss last night. They're fighting for... Six, seven, or eight in the uh, in the East. They're going to make the playoffs. They're not a great offensive team. They're 21st in the league um, offensively, and they're 8th in the league defensively. Watching them defensively, the one thing I think is going to be interesting tonight is they, if you run a side pick and roll or an angle pick and roll, they bring a third guy into the equation. So they're going to bring, to deal with Rudy and his incredible rim roll, which is really just, cannot be talked about enough of what a potent uh, impact it is on games. Uh, They're going to bring a third guy into the play. So if the Jazz either make the pass to Rudy, uh, this is what Derek actually will be missed because Derek's really good at the mid-roll pass, or throw the skip pass, they should be able to get some three-point looks. They're, They're not the, I don't, you know, they're not, they're not flawed defensively in some way where if you look at them and they allow a huge amount of threes or anything um, crazy like that. In fact, what they do do is they do not allow you in the restricted area. They bring that third guy in. They allow the second fewest shots in the league in the restricted area. But Van Gundy's system is good. They, they're 10th best in the league at uh, denying the three. They only allow 30% of opponent shots to be threes. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know this, the league average now is 31.6% of all shots are threes. Jazz are second best in the NBA um, at denying that three at 28.1% of all shots um, are threes. So they do what they do is they do a really good job. They'll keep you out of the paint. They're going to keep you in. They're going to force you to shoot in the mid-range. Um, in fact, they are the number one money ball defense in the NBA. So they allow the fewest amount of shots, uh, 58.5% of shots in the restricted area or the three-point line. They're the best money ball defense in the NBA. Uh, the Jazz, if you're wondering, since I'm sure you are, are sixth best uh, money ball defense in the NBA. And we might be the number one analytic team in the league, by the way, but just by the time you combine offense and defense and some of the things that are that are going on. Uh, so that I, I noticed that watching them, that they'll bring that third guy, the pick and roll, but they also get out pretty well. Um, this is not your, I don't know if you, you know, if you're a diehard fan, you're listening to this, you probably are. This is not kind of that Stan Van Gundy team that you expect with the big man rolling and shooting a ton of threes. They're 27th in the league in three point attempts um, or percentage of shots as threes. They don't go to the free throw line much. That's why they're not a great offensive team. Um, Drummond versus Gobert will be interesting. Drummond is just mammoth, but he can't move. So I'll be interested to see if the Jazz can get him moving. If they, The Jazz did some really good stuff against the Clippers with early picks from Gobert. That's why he had 10 screen assists. Into quick shots. Gordon got one. George Hill got one. Uh, the key for the Jazz, frankly, is stepping behind the three-point line. George Hill has a tendency to come inside the three-point line on that, which I don't think he needs to. Uh, offensively, Detroit runs a lot of 
instead of pure pick and roll, they run a lot of handoffs. They run a lot of handoffs on the run, and it will be interesting to see who the Jazz are going under on and who they're going over on. Uh, this team doesn't shoot a lot of threes, so it leads you to think maybe you go under. Uh, their best three-point shooter of the season is uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. you probably got to stay over on him. Then Reggie Jackson, who's at 37% and has not been – um, <clears throat> great, very consistent all year off his knee injury, though he has been hot from three um, recently, I thought, maybe. Yeah, March, he's shooting 44% from three. Um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is not. Since February 1st, he's at 33%. So, And Marcus Morris is not hot. He's eight of his last 30 uh, from three. So I'll be curious to see whether or not what the Jazz do with all those quick dribble handoffs and, and things of that sort. All right, final thing today. By the way, if you want to advertise on Locked On Jazz, right now is the time where your company's sponsorship could be mentioned and get yourself new customers. If you're looking for men, we're 97% men, 78% of our audience is 18 to 44, 82% of our audience is 25 to 54. And recent studies by Edison Research have shown that the podcast listeners are more likely to support sponsors uh, that they hear on the podcasts and uh, are 56% more likely to support those than they would other uh, companies. So please email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. Uh, Adam Fromall, who I don't know, I guess he's a, it says he's a national NBA featured columnist at Bleacher Report. Um, wrote a piece in which he took four different defensive categories, ESPN's Real Plus Minus, NBA Mass, Defensive Point Saved, uh, Field Goal Percentage Differential, and On and Off Numbers, to evaluate the worst defensive players in the NBA. Here are the five, and it actually, I would say, the eye test on this passed. The five worst defensive point guards in the NBA are Damian Lillard. Um, is there anybody interesting in the... Uh, honorable, is there anybody interesting in the honorable mention uh, category? I want to check. I just saw that. Um, Corey Joseph, surprised. I thought he was a pretty good defense player. Emmanuel Moutier, Denver is just better if he doesn't play. DJ Augustine, the diminutive Augustine. Uh, Isaiah Thomas in Boston. And Reggie Jackson of Detroit is the worst defensive point guard in the NBA. Um, he now he was recovering from offseason knee surgery. This is the eighth best defensive team in the league. Um, he writes Jackson wasn't a good defender in fifteen sixteen. He just wasn't grading out as literally the NBA's worst stopper to position as he did as he is during his continual trial by fire rehabilitation process. So a lot of this is coming off the knee, but interesting. Excuse me, uh, Alan Crab is the. F- Number five on the shooting guards. So Portland has two guys. And you'll see the same teams keep coming up here. That's because they're not good defensively. So it's a little, that might be the one flaw in this. Uh, Gary Harris of Denver is the fourth shooting guard. Nick Young for the Lakers, third. Uh, Aaron Aflalo, Sacramento, is that where Aaron Aflalo is? Yeah, second. Uh, you do see the same teams coming up. And Alex Abrinas of Oklahoma City. And I, we saw Rodney Hood just torch him. Uh, it's why they use Oladipo. Tell Fred Katz of uh, Locked on Thunder. He's big on Abrina. Should start over Oladipo. Uh, in Washington, in the small forward, Bogdan Bogdanovich was the fifth worst. Uh, Brandon Ingram was the fourth worst. Probably true. He's having a tough year. 
I think he'll be all right, but boy, a long way to go. Doug McDermott is the third worst, Oklahoma City, so they're, they got two of them now. Um, Carmelo Anthony. Might open the show talking about him for all I know. Andrew Wiggins, the worst offensive small forward in the NBA. A little surprised by that. Zach Harper wrote in FanRag, uh, Wiggins' biggest problem is he's a reactor as opposed to someone who is cons- consistently in the position he needs to be. The next challenge for Tom Thibodeau to get Wiggins to do work early. While he's good at defending the roller on the pick and roll, he's bad at defending the initiator. Usually that involves fighting through a screen. He's struggling to consistently get through the pick. He also is bad at defending spot-up shooters. Get him one-on-one and he'll challenge well, but not on rotation. Interesting comments there from Zach Harper. All right, power forward. Ryan Anderson is number five. That's hard to dispute. He's never been great. Um, Number four is Kenneth Fareed in Denver. It's interesting where, you know, effort and toughness. Okay, well, I actually would like performance. Derek Williams is third. Marquise Chris in Phoenix is second. Young kid with no idea yet. And Anthony Tolliver, Sacramento, is the worst defensive power forward in the league. That's probably hard to dispute. Um, all right, let's go to centers. Mo Spates of the Clippers. I will say, watching that, rewatching that game, Mo Spates can be a problem for the Clippers in the playoffs. When you can isolate him and make him play defense, I don't know how they keep him on the floor, and I don't know what they do instead. I, the Jazz matchup against the Clippers is pretty good, too. Uh, I know they've kicked the crap out of us twice, but... It's it's an interesting matchup. When we go small and they want to have – who do they – they have Austin Rivers on the floor. Who's guarding Gordon Hayward? Spencer Hawes, who is awful defensively and uninterested, is fourth. Ennis Cantor is the third-worst defensive center. Jalil Okafer is the second-worst, and the worst defensive center in the NBA is Channing Frye of Cleveland. Cleveland's not very good defensively, and they have some players on this list. All right, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. That show was perfectly organized, wide awake, well put together. Yesterday's, I was sleepy. You probably liked yesterday's better. That is Locked on Jazz, brought to you by Devin Cash today. Give Devin a call at 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. And if you want to advertise on Locked on Jazz for the upcoming playoff push, give me an email at dlock09gmail.com. This is Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.